Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. Welcome to this Caregiver Life podcast. I'm going to give a full confession here that um, Dr. Cunard Webb is joining me again for the second time. (laughs) And I share this because our listeners know that I'm not an engineer and Jen, who cannot join us tonight, is not an engineer. And we just sort of shoot from the hip on our podcast on this Caregiver Life because we really are caregivers. And this is kind of how our life rolls. So Dr. Quinard Webb is joining me tonight. He is so gracious to come back. Dr. Webb is a mobile physical therapist in San Antonio. He primarily provides education and services to brain injury survivors and their caregivers and providers. He is the owner of Renew Youth Therapy and Wellness and a service providing partner of TBI Warrior. In the spirit of the month of March as TBI Awareness Month, TBI Warrior Foundation is this Caregiver Life podcast sponsor for the month of March. We are grateful for their sponsorship, but even more grateful for the good work they do for people who have had a TBI and for their caregivers. So, Dr. Webb, welcome. Can you please tell us your interest in becoming a physical therapist? And when did you know this is what you wanted to do? Absolutely. Well, well first off, Mary, I'll, I'll have to say I'm just appreciative of you having me on here again. Um, the viewer, uh, the listeners didn't get to hear it, but uh, you get to hear me ramble again. Um, hopefully this is new stuff to them. It's not new to you, uh, but it's going to be a, a good show. And again, I just appreciate it so much. Um, the question as far as my interest in becoming a physical therapist, um, physical therapy is such a dynamic and awesome profession. Um, the things we get to do as far as assisting people improving their quality of life and getting back to doing the things that they love. Um, anyone who wants to become a member of this profession, I highly encourage. Um, none of these things ran through my brain when I decided to pursue physical therapy. I'm going to be honest. Um, I was a horrible student in high school, horrible student. I'm talking about 2.7, a class clown. Yeah, it was really bad. Um, but I had the blessing, the opportunity to be a part of an organization, and it's called Health uh, Students of America, or HOSA, Health Occupation Students of America. Um, and it really changed my life because it provided me with the opportunity to intern under a physical therapist. Um, and I really got to see what type of work a physical therapist does and how much difference education, how much difference time and how much difference relationships, uh, can really make in regards to the people we care for. And then also the caregivers of these individuals, um, A full confession with physical therapy, I was not interested in working with individuals with uh, chronic conditions or neurological conditions, which is is funny because now that's pretty much all I work with. Um, I started off really with a huge interest working with athletes, 
Um, I love athletics. I love sports. Uh, but I found later on uh, that the athletes don't so much love physical therapy, um, and they're not as appreciative and gracious as some of my clients now with uh, traumatic brain injuries and their caregivers. So uh, that's the answer to to that. I, I, I really just highly encourage those of you who don't know enough about the field, really, really, really just research it, and hopefully I can expound on it a little bit more, too, as well. Well, I think it's pretty impressive that you were not that great a student in high school, and then you went to physical therapy school, to school to be a physical therapist, because it's a pretty rigorous program academically, like what kind of education is needed? If, if somebody listening thought, gee, I'd like to do what Dr. Webb's doing, what would they need to do? What kind of education? Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, do better in high school than me. <laughs> uh, for some reason, doing good in high school makes college easier. Imagine that. Um, co college was, in the beginning, uh, really a, a learning process for me. Some of the things that people already knew going into college um, was brand new for me. Um, I'm a first-generation four-year college student. My parents both have associates or certificate degrees. Um, so it was really kind of a, a struggle, a grind, if you will, going through my undergrad. Um, so the education starts off with the undergraduate program, obviously. Um, and you can do any kind of undergraduate program. I did a program called Exercise Science. Um, I'm really into how the human body works. I'm really into exercise. Um, nutrition and how we can modify those things in order to improve our, our life, really, and our quality of life. Um, after that, you apply to a physical therapy school. You have to take what's called uh, the GRE. I think it's like a graduate's requ requisite exam um, to get into graduate school. Um, and that in itself is, is fairly difficult. I think the requirements have actually gone up. Um, and then following that, if and when you're admitted, because mind you, these classes now, my class was 27 um, students, but some of these classes are, are larger, but the largest ones that I've seen are about 50 or 60 students. And now people, 300, 400 appl applicants are applying now. So it's really competitive. Um, and I would highly recommend boosting uh, your chances by volunteering and just really making sure that this is something you want to do because it is very competitive. Um, the degree is a doctorate, but it's a three-year doctorate. Um, and so in those three years, you get really heavy anatomy courses, um, gross anatomy, um, essentially what you would get in medical school. Um, and then after that, you get the application of what you would do as a physical therapist. So how to, number one, evaluate what's going on with your client what's causing them difficulty moving, and then how to provide education and the treatments and the theories to help them get back to doing what they enjoy doing. And then you actually have the clinicals, the internships, if you will, as a physical therapist. Um, and after that, if you're super obsessive with physical therapy like I was, um, you do an optional residency program. And I did that through the James A. Haley VA Hospital in Tampa, Florida, and I specialized in um, neuro rehab uh, there. 
Well, they have an amazing rehab program there. They have an, a, they were, um, they were one of the big, one of the six centers that the VA has. Yes. What are they? That, that, the, so it's actually the second largest, they call them polytrauma centers. Polytrauma. Um, I, I like lost, yeah. my, I lost the word for a minute there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mouthful, man. It's, <laughs> I, I think here in San Antonio, I think this is the number one largest here where I'm at. They they have a pretty large one as well. So um, I haven't got a chance to work there, but yeah, it's it, it's such an impressive program. I really am just blessed and appreciative to have gone through it and had the mentors there. They're they're a really big program, and they have um they have a huge ALS clinic. I want to say they have the largest ALS clinic in the United States. Um, in terms of veterans, now I could be wrong, but I think that they do have the most. They they at any given time have 140 to 160 veterans with ALS that they're servicing, which makes sense because there is an older population down in Florida. And for the longest time, there were veterans were older um, diagnosed with ALS, like 55 and older. We're seeing younger ones now who are still serving. Uh, post 9-11 we're seeing more of them um, but I think that's the older population is why there's more in Florida and they and they inpatient their veterans with ALS once a year and do head-to-toe um, examination of them and they go through all the body parts and all the different equipment and social needs that they might have and they might need and they spend time with their family so it's really it's really impressive and it would be wonderful if all the VAs had that, but um, of course it's not cost effective for all the VAs. So it's so great that you got your experience there. So that's where you got your interest in working with um, neurology and traumatic brain injury. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that really enforced it. I had a, a, a definitely peak of interest in physical therapy school, but that, experience cemented it and I haven't turned back since that's been the population I've worked with since wow well we're so glad that you did because I know that you make a difference in people's lives um how did you get involved with the TBI warrior foundation like and what what kind of services do you provide for them okay yeah really good question um so again I, I wish I had like awesome stories for you <laughs> in regard to these questions but the the answer is i had just started my small business my mobile physical therapy business um renew you therapy and wellness um and i was looking to just market my business and try to find similar um individuals in the community that were trying to push towards the same mission really um and then also trying to find clients that i could help honestly um with a small business you kind of need business um, and so San Antonio, they do this awesome young professionals mixer and this young professionals mixer actually um, hosted all of the nonprofit organizations in San Antonio. And so I, I really wasn't expecting to see an organization for individuals with brain injuries there. And imagine my surprise when I saw a TBI warrior and a representative there. Um, and so I'm very talkative. Um, I don't know if the listeners can hear, but I'm very excitable, especially when I'm talking about something I'm passionate about. And so I remember that day vividly. I was standing and I was talking for a while with the representative there. I exchanged my contacts. 
Um, and I was like, please, 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 if there's any way I can service this organization, contact me. A month goes by. <laughs> and I was like, oh, these guys, they are, you know, doing so many great things and they must not have time to contact me. I'm just going to go to their website and reach out. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And um, again, imagine my surprise. Roxana herself, who um, is uh, the co-owner of TBI Warrior, she responded. So this is like one of those open uh, queries on the website that you can type. And you would think it would be some type of administrative assistant answering my questions. And, you know, it was Roxana, like personally answering my questions and like, oh, yes, Dr. Webb, which, you know, I, I appreciate the formalities, but everyone calls me Q, most of my clients and most of the people that know me. Um, and she was just so interested in meeting me and so interested in, number one, partnering, but number two, providing a very unique service to the individuals in this community with traumatic brain injury and their caregivers. Wow. But Roxana is so dynamic. And by the way, I'm now going to call you Q because that now we've spent a lot of time <laughs> together. And we have. And and people who know me, they consider me their friend. Call me Mayor. If you don't call Mayor. me Mayor, probably not really that close. <laughs> <laughs> Which my brothers still insist on spelling as M A R E, and I keep saying, "Come on, I'm not a horse." I got a horse. That's what I was like. That's a horse, right? No, mare. I no, like no, it. That's it's cute. Because M-A-R is Mar, and I was like, yeah, but we're talking nicknames here. Okay, there's no rules for nicknames, right? So, Absolutely. Um, but I love Roxana. I've not met Victor, um, but I, I know of Victor, and I know that their dedication to TBI Warrior Foundation has just been phenomenal, and that they serve... Um, veterans and veteran caregivers and caregivers and people who have TBIs who are not in the military veteran lane. And, and I, I really love that. So with that being said, well, I thought I would never say that, but I hear people say that all the time with that being said. Okay. Anyway, so let's take a break and hear from our sponsor, TBI Warrior Foundation. Today's episode of This Caregiver Life is brought to you by TBI Warrior Foundation, a nonprofit organization with a mission to improve the quality of life for veterans, civilians, and children living with brain injury, as well as their caregivers, through community integration, education, and advancement programs. March is National Brain Injury Awareness Month. Every year, two and a half million people in the United States sustain traumatic brain injuries. TBI Warrior Foundation is grateful for this opportunity to bring you education from experts in the field of TBI, as well as inspirational stories and helpful life strategies from TBI caregivers themselves. TBI Warrior Foundation, paving the path to success and independence. Learn more at www.tbiwarriorfoundation.org. We are back. I like, we like to have on our podcast when, when we do our homework and I'm not as good at homework as Jennifer is, but I did do my homework this time. I came across a study from the Ohio State University from 2014. I looked for one that was more current than 2014, but this is the one that just kept popping out. And 
Um, I think the information is still relevant. It indicates that among the estimated 42.1 million unpaid informal caregivers who provide support to adults, typically family members with physical disabilities or other conditions that limit daily activity, many experience chronic pain, including shoulder and knee pain as a result of their physically demanding tasks. I thought this was really relevant with um, TBIs and um, which would include um, stroke victims. Yes, people who have suffered strokes, um, head injuries that lead, lead to paralysis, which puts a lot of physical stress on the caregiver. And so I'm hoping you can help our caregivers who are listening to think about ways in which they can be more protective of themselves as they're going about their daily care for their care recipient. What kind of strategies do you think you have for them? I love this question. I really do. Um, oftentimes, as a clinician, I think, we get really caught up in just getting the client mm -hmm. back home, our client back home. And it's a loved one to someone. It's someone that they're going to have to provide 24-7 care at some times um, to them, right? Um, so I think the first thing that we really have to emphasize is receiving the education that you truly need. Um, when we were talking about the James A. Haley VA Hospital, that's one thing I really enjoyed is that they had these little check-ins that we know that the condition of our loved ones changes with any kind of neurological uh, neurological disease over time. Uh, we also know that our bodies change and how we're able to move changes over time. And so providing these check-ins and getting newly educated in regards to mobility, transfer, um, body mechanics, um, and in regard to home safety are huge. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. We need to find out how we can protect because prevention is the number one key to preventing the back pain, the shoulder pain, uh, the knee pain. Um, I don't know if, if you're aware, but opioids right now, that's been a hot topic um, with low back pain, chronic low back pain. So if we can prevent these conditions by first providing the proper education as care providers, as physical therapists, occupational therapists, physicians. I think that's how we serve our caregivers the most, is just sitting down and taking time out of our day, and instead of rushing a conversation that needs to take an hour at times, and rushing it to 15 minutes, actually giving it that hour, actually providing you as the caregiver that time to, to number one, talk about the frustrations you're having in regards to helping your loved one, the difficulties, and then finding ways that we can modify, uh, finding ways that we can provide assistive equipment if needed, and then addressing it. I, I think that's huge, that education component. I mean, a lot of the techniques that I learned, the transfer techniques, right? We have a whole semester worth of, of training to learn to do that, you know? And so you go to a hospital, your loved one goes to a hospital, and before they get discharged, you get a quick 15 minute, 20 minute instructional about how to do these techniques. And true enough, the techniques, it's, it's adequate enough to do it incidentally, like, you know, 
every once in a while, but you're not doing it every once in a while. You're doing this daily. So the techniques have to be airtight. And the only way we can make the techniques airtight is providing that education. That's how these injuries occur. It's just chronic um, and consistent uh, participation doing these things. I mean, the more you do it, the more you're at risk for overuse injuries with your low back, with your shoulder. So we have to prevent it by education. That That's kind of my huge soapbox is I, I just can't say enough about education and really just taking that time out um, with the caregivers as clinicians. Now, caregivers, you have to advocate for that. You have to fight for that. Clinicians will oftentimes say, hey, okay, well, this is what I got. No, hold us. Hold us. I have <laughs> certain clients that I can remember very fondly who hold me hostage until they feel comfortable to go home with their loved one. And that's okay. It's a minor inconvenience to us as care providers, but it's a huge service to you all as caregivers. That's such a fabulous message. Those almost like repetitive injuries that we can be subjected to. And I, I sometimes am my own worst enemy with it at, at times. I, um, a great example, which is probably not a really great example, but it's one thing I'm known for doing is trying to take all my grocery bags in the house by myself because my arm can fit all those bags on my arms and it's probably not a smart thing to do because well i do try to balance myself so on either <laughs> but it's just definitely not a smart thing to do especially because i have a wagon i'm a really big fan of using wheels yes i have a red wagon that i keep in the house it's the only i never take it to the beach or outside it never gets dirty it comes down the ramp goes to my car i put them in there but sometimes i'm just a little too lazy to go and get it and that mm. can be terrible to do because if I get injured, we're just in trouble. Yes. And so those are those are the things I would I would warn against, and I'll I'll take that to heart again and remember to get my wagon ready the next time I go shopping. But I I have asked my husband's physical therapist who comes to the house once a week for tips on how to move them or how to transfer them. And maybe it's nothing he needed before, but because he has ALS, he needs it now. Or maybe there's something wrong with me and I need to change the way I'm doing it. And I think we're really blessed that we have a physical therapist who sees the big picture. He's here, he's been here every week, sometimes twice a week for four years now. So he knows us well and he knows when, we, when I ask for help, I really need it. And I would encourage our caregivers to sing to ask their physical therapist, their care recipients, physical therapists, to spend time with them if they think that they need it. You have the right to ask for that help. And it's smart to do it because nobody wants to see both of you down. Yeah. Yeah. Such a, what is one of the more common, common injuries you see among caregivers in, when you go visit, when you take Quite. care of your clients? Uh, again, another good uh, question, but hands down, it's, it's chronic back injury. It's, it's, it's chronic back injury or either an acute incident of a back injury. So it just recently happened. Or again, remember I told you it's something that just has been going over and over and over again. So it just has gotten worse, you know, 
Um, that that that's largely the the most injured area. And I kind of want to, if you don't mind, I kind of want to kind of spin off of that. One of the things we were talking about was pre- ways to prevent injuries, taking care of yourself. Yeah. As a care as a care provider, right? I mean, having the wherewithal to self regulate, to assess yourself um, during the day, assess your fatigue level, assess your pain level and assess how difficult providing the care is for you, right? Um, and then being very proactive with engaging yourself in physical activities. I'm a physical therapist. I have to push the physical thing. No, engaging you're actually, your- of course. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, something as simple as walking or, you know, I, I hear all these wonderful things that I think you could uh, tell me more about in regards to yoga. Um, yeah, I love yoga. I love yoga. I think it's a great idea. I think I think people who think they can't do yoga can do yoga. They just think they can't. They put that block in their head. You probably I'll have to look for one. I'll do that. I'll put a link up there on our This Caregiver Life Facebook page for a basic gentle yoga. Because if we, if we spend time stretching our muscles and building a little bit of core, we can help our back. Yes? Yes. Our back? Yes. You can, you can save your back. And let, let's, let's talk about this again, another thing. Something that people don't realize is that yoga is not just what you see on TV. There's seated yoga. There's all types of modified yoga that can fit your lifestyle and can be very soothing and relaxing because not only are we taking care of ourselves physically, but we're also addressing mindfulness. We're also, you know, cleansing and massaging our mind. I mean, if you think about it with yoga. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent. It's funny, my wife is actually about to go to yoga right now as we speak. <laughs> She's walking out the door here in a bit. Well, good. Well, I'm envious of her. I'm hoping tomorrow that my my surgeon's going to give me the go-ahead to hit the yoga mat on Monday. I've been restricted for three weeks, and I'm just, you know, I'm fantasizing that he's going to say, you've just healed so well, you don't need that one extra week. I'm really anxious to be back on the mat for the stretching, for the mindfulness, for kind of just being in the zone. That is one of the places on the yoga mat where I do my best self regulation i figure out where i am from head to toe and so regardless almost regardless of where people get it our caregivers get it to finding that time to give to themselves to think about you know how do i feel mentally emotionally spiritually and physically head to toe how do i feel what's hurting me now and what can i do to prevent myself from injury That's my favorite word now is self-regulation. I like it over self-care. It says so much. It's like kind of empowering because self-care always feels to me a very overused word these days. And it doesn't tell me a lot. It doesn't give me any direction. It could mean getting my nails done. It could mean, you know, I don't know, taking a hot bath. It could be it could be going to the doctor. Those are really big extremes, getting my nails done and going to the doctor. Self-regulation tells gives me direction. It tells me to think about myself. We're allowed to think about ourselves as caregivers. 
And that's one of the biggest issues that I find with caregivers is that they have a difficult time thinking of themselves first. And it's important we do, or we can't help those we love. Absolutely. So what are some of your successes working with caregivers? What have you, what, what is one or two things that pop up in your head that was like a real feel good? <laughs> um, so it's actually a, a recent story that just occurred. Um, I have a young man, he's about 20 or so years old, um, and his mother's fairly young too, um, but he sustained a traumatic brain injury. Um, and at first, he was very impaired. Um, he was not able to do much for himself, uh, but he is a rehab success story. He has since progressed and he is more mobile. And I think one thing as a caregiver, and, and I couldn't imagine, and, I, and I'm sure your listeners and you could speak to this, is when to actually allow your loved one to do, um, because you're so used to providing that care, right? You're so used to, to being that integral part of their life that if they do progress or if they are able to do for themselves, are you allowing them to do that? So with uh, this mother, she really wanted to return to work, uh, but she didn't trust her son alone at home or with any other member of the family. Um, but after long days of family training and education, I remember hold your therapist and clinicians hostage. Um, we were able to get her to where she was comfortable enough to go back and do what she enjoys. Not to say she doesn't enjoy taking care of her son, but we're, we're not monoliths. There's other things that define us as people. Um, yeah, we love who we're taking care of, but we also have things outside of that care we provi provide. And so she really wanted to return to work. And it's just been such a blessing um, now watching her come back home and their interactions, uh, they're much healthier. They're much healthier. Um, I think she's happier. And I think he's happier too because he's able to actually attempt and do. And, you know, there, there are failures. You know, it is a success story, but there are failures during that success. But at least the attempt was made to allow them to do it you know, versus us failing because we didn't attempt. Wow, that is such a great story and so uplifting. And we do know that not everybody is going to be able to achieve that, but <clears throat> maybe in smaller steps, maybe some a caregiver is not going to be able to get out and go back to work, but there are other things that the caregiver can achieve that is something that they really would like to do for themselves. And I'm really a big champion of that. I always have been as a caregiver. I've been a caregiver for 26 and a half years, and I have found many opportunities to grow myself individually and, I, and you know, to make myself into a, the unique person that I want to be, that we all are. And I encourage that for our caregivers in whatever format that that takes for them. And asking for help to get there is, is uh, there's no shame in that at all. There's actually can be a lot of glory in it. Well, I'm gonna thank you so much for coming on again. Um, and I'll, I'll give our closing. I think I think I might have it down. So um, for our listeners, we would love to hear from you. You can send us a voice message. We would love that because we haven't had one yet. And I think whoever listening to this one should jump on and give us a voice message. 
can reach us at thiscaregiverlife at gmail.com, on Facebook at thiscaregiverlife, on Twitter at uh, thiscaregiver, those shortened um, words there since they have restrictions on how many letters or, or whatever you call it. I don't know. I'm not really a big Twitter fan, but caregiver life, uh, this caregiver on Twitter or this caregiver life on Instagram. Um, we've really enjoyed this conversation with you, Q. And yeah. if you ever want to come back on, let us know. Mayor, I would love to. You guys should send the invite. I will be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat with you guys and provide your listeners with maybe a little bit more knowledge. Okay, outstanding. Till the next time. Mm-hmm.